Before we uh, start a new sermon series, let's briefly consider what this sermon series will be and why we're doing this. Um, this first, this service or this sermon series will be about the six core values we have here at BCRC. And you can see them right there. Justice, generosity, worship, community, discipleship, and evangelism. For the next six weeks, we will study these core values. And even though we're going to be talking about them individually, separately, um, we need to remember that these core values are actually interconnected. Just like how Christian virtues that we talked about a few months ago were interconnected and they often work together, these core values are connected and they go hand in hand and together they define for us our Christian mission, the task that God has given us to accomplish in this world. Um, and that brings us to the second point that I want to talk to you before um, I start preaching. That is why we are doing this sermon series. Chris Gansky, the pastor at City Reformed Church in downtown Milwaukee, has written multiple articles on the topic of Christian mission. And in those articles, he points out the fact that mission and mission statements are not unique to the Christian church, right? All institutions out there have their mission and mission statements and they post them on their websites. The difference is, however, that while institutions out there um, create their own mission statements and define their own mission, the church, the Christian church, is defined by its mission. He says, Chris Gansky says, the church is not an institution with a mission, but a mission with an institution. In other words, God gives us a mission, and we exist for that mission. That's why we're calling this sermon series, Why We Exist. And here at the BCRC, we have categorically divided our Christian mission into six different yet intertwined uh, categories that we are calling core values. So in a way, these values are why we exist. And this morning, we will start with what is perhaps the most obvious one of the six values that is evangelism, the act of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, will you turn, please, to the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. It can be found on page 1048 in your pew Bibles. Meaningless, meaningless, as a teacher, everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted the knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their eclectic sayings, like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Making a, of making many books, there is no end, and so much, much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men, mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or or evil. This is word of the Lord. 
this book that we just read from, Ecclesiastes, might just be the most pessimistic book in the entire Bible. And pessimism is more than a lack of hope. It's one's tendency to see the worst and expect the worst in life. And that's what this most famous verse from this book says, right? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. You might be more familiar with the King James translation, vanity of all vanities, everything's vanity. I don't think I need to say much more than that to prove the point that the tone of this book, Ecclesiastes, is just overwhelmingly pessimistic. Ecclesiastes is pessimistic, yet we are called to find some sort of good news in this book. At Calvin Seminary, um, I took a class called the Bible Survey, and the class was designed to look at all 66 books in the Bible and explore how each book was connected to Jesus Christ and the gospel message that he brought to the world. When it was time for us to um, study the book of Ecclesiastes, the professor started the class like this. He said, Imagine one morning your pastor comes up to the pulpit and says, our reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and he reads these verses. Surely the fate of human beings like that of the animals, the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything's meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. This is word of the Lord. Right? I mean, the entire class kind of chuckled and said thanks be to God, just like you guys did. Right? And it was funny, right? But underneath that humor, he was making an unsettling point. This is the word of the Lord. It is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. In other words, somehow this pessimistic passage points to Jesus Christ and his gospel message. Ecclesiastes is one of the three books that make up the wisdom literature in the Bible. The other two are Proverbs and Job. And in order for us to understand where this pessimism comes from, it's helpful for us to imagine these three books, Proverbs, Job, and um, Ecclesiastes, having a conversation. Proverbs says, if you follow God and his order, his creation order, things will go well for you. Job comes in and says, well, that's not always the case because he's doing things. He's at least allowing things for reasons that he alone knows. Ecclesiastes listens to them and says, well, that's a good point. Then why bother? What is the point of following God in his creation order if nothing is guaranteed? And even as Christians, that's, we have to admit that that's a valid question. That's a solid point. And in this book, Ecclesiastes, we see this person named the teacher searching for meaning and purpose in life to answer that question. He turns to career money, sex, relationship, and everything else that we can think of under the sun. This phrase, under the sun, 
happens about 20, or I think happens 28 or 29 times in the Bible, and it implies that the teacher has searched all of God's creation for that meaning, for that, for that purpose in life. But in the end, the teacher comes up empty. And after exhausting all his options, he lets out that famous conclusion, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He's left with this overwhelming pessimism. This quest to find meaning and purpose in life is something that we all can relate to, right? It's, in, it's part of human nature to ask three questions throughout one's life. That is, first, who am I? Second, where do I belong? And third, what is my purpose? The purpose that gives meaning to my life. We ask these three questions. In other words, we all search for meaning and purpose in life. Some turn to um, personal affairs like relationship, career, money, fame, that sort of thing to find meaning and purpose. And others turn to something more public like politics, social causes, and religious institutions. So how is that working out for those people? Well, we know how people feel about religious institutions today. In light of various church scandals and issues, people are becoming more pessimistic toward religion and religious institutions, and some of us might feel that way today. Politics is in a similar boat. In recent years, political pessimism has just skyrocketed. A survey done in uh, 2019 shows that about 50% of all Americans believe that the standard of living will get worse by 2050 due to political incompetency. Pessimism is not foreign to us. Even as we celebrate the Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, we have to note that one of the more popular research subjects in American sociology is this thing called Afro-pessimism. The term refers to the pessimistic view of our African-American neighbors towards social progress. Because even though the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed almost 60 years ago, our society is still dealing with racism, injustice, bias, and prejudice. So if not in the public sphere, will people have better luck finding meaning and purpose in their personal affairs? Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have to talk about midlife crises. But those things are real. In fact, experts are now talking about this thing called quarter-life crises because such crises are happening earlier uh, in someone's life. My, for example, my generation, the millennials, grew up with this life manual. The, the manual says if you study hard, work hard, get good grades, you know, get into a good college, study the right major, graduate with the right degree, and, you know, get the right job, then you're you will meet the perfect spouse, you will start an ideal family, and your life will be fulfilling and meaningful. But as it turns out, those with the right job and the ideal family, 
they can be miserable too. And they often find their lives meaningless. I have a friend who's transitioning into his third career. He was a nurse. He, had an, he has an MBA. And now he's thinking about uh, the field of social work. Another friend of mine turned to drugs, sex, and other temporal pleasures of the world just to numb the meaninglessness that he feels. Now Gen Z and people who are younger than I am are turning to unconventional, untraditional, novel things in search of meaning and purpose in life. And that is not unrelated to the popularity of social media today. People have looked everywhere under the sun for meaning and purpose, but they have found nothing. When we survey our world today, pessimism is everywhere. You yourself might not be pessimistic, but we know people who expect the worst and see the worst in life because they just see no point, see no purpose or meaning in life. Some aimlessly just grind it out. Some try to live it up in the moment and do whatever makes them feel good. And others take a more extreme route and question what is the point of taking in another breath. Experts are noticing this growing, overwhelming pessimism in our world today. And some has gone as far as to call our time an era of pessimism. So as we think about evangelism and spreading the gospel, we have to note that we are spreading the gospel to these pessimistic people in a pessimistic world. In that sense, teacher's conclusion is very much pertinent today. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. These words describe the context of our task. We are called to present Jesus as the good news that counters the bad news of our time characterized by pessimism. The question now is how do we as Christians go about doing that? Maybe this pessimistic book of Ecclesiastes will offer some guidance to us. When we look at this book in its totality, we discover two voices. The first and the main one is the pessimistic voice of the teacher. He's the one that searches all of God's creation for meaning and purpose in life. He's the one that says, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. But then there is this second voice. And the second voice belongs to the author of Ecclesiastes. He's the one that collected and compiled the sayings of the teacher. He's the one that presented the sayings of the teacher as we read in this book. And we hear from this author only twice in this book, briefly at the opening of the book, and once again briefly at the end of the book. And the end is what we read this morning. And as we read this morning, the book, or the, the author concludes the book um, by responding to the conclusion of the teacher with a conclusion of his own. The author mainly, for the most part, agrees with the teacher and says, yeah, life is meaningless under the sun. Right? He says what he wrote was upright and true. But then in verse 2, the author 
says this, be warned of anything in addition to them. Meaning, don't take this pessimism any further than that. And then unexpectedly, the author points to God and says, fear God and keep his commandments. And we're left wondering, what is that all about? When the author says, fear God, he doesn't necessarily mean be afraid of God. Fear in this context means awe and reverence. Such fear comes from, it comes from recognizing God for who he truly is. And God is this almighty God, the creator God, right? Creator of all things, both under the sun and above. And this amazing God wants to have a relationship with his people. The creator wants a relationship with his creatures. So the, the, the phrase, fear God, actually points to that relationship. And likewise, keep his commandments also points to the same relationship because commandments are all about covenant stipulations. They describe for us what God expects from those who are already in a relationship with him. So why does the author of Ecclesiastes keep on highlighting this relationship with God? That is because this relationship is where life's true meaning and purpose are found. The teacher is correct. There is n- life has no meaning under the sun. But that doesn't mean that life has no meaning at all. Life does have meaning and it does have a purpose, but they cannot be found in this created realm under the sun. So the author points upward and says, look at God. Because that's where our true meaning and purpose are found. It's found, they are found in the Creator. And only by entering a relationship with the Creator, people can access such meaning and purpose. But when we talk about life, we only think of life in this earthly form. We tend to focus on this earthly life and we limit, therefore we limit our search for meaning and purpose to this created realm. But we must look beyond this realm. Career, money, fame, all those things will eventually come to an end, but our relationship with God will last forever. Verse 14 points to the fact that when this life is over, when we stand before God, the only thing that will matter, the only saving grace will be our relationship with him. Therefore, this relationship is the only thing that's worth working for and keeping. And of course, the part of the gospel message has to be that while we were still sinners, when we're still rejecting, ignoring, and neglecting the gift of this relationship, God himself came into the world under the sun, took on our flesh, and secured our relationship with him forever. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus and his atoning sacrifice for us is the only way that we can access and get to know the true meaning and purpose in life. That's the only way that we can discover what we all have been looking for. The Calvin professor that I mentioned earlier put it this way. 
It makes sense that only by reconnecting with the creator and the source of life, we are able to know the true meaning and fullness of life. And that is the good news that this pessimistic world needs to hear today. In other words, our task is to show that the true meaning and purpose can be found, but not under the sun, but above the sun, namely in Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. We as the Church of Christ do not exist to entertain people. We do not exist to be a social club. We exist to point people to Christ and the life-giving, the fulfillment, the fullness of life that we can find in the person of Jesus Christ. And here we can see how all these six core values work together because all these values are the outward expressions of the relationship that we have with God and the meaning and purpose that we have found in that relationship. So we cannot talk about, we cannot share the gospel without first discovering for ourselves the true meaning and purpose in life, in in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to start there. Our evangelism needs to start with us entering and deepening our relationship with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this table before you represents that. It reminds us that we already have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he died for our, to secure our relationship. The bread and the wine that we will have in a moment actually represents the grace of Jesus' cross, the cross and the work that has secured our relationship with him forever. This table tells us that our relationship with God are forever secured. We can always come to the table and be reminded that we already have a relationship with him, that we already have access to life's true meaning and purpose. So before we come to the table, let's prepare our hearts so that we can take and share in this heavenly feast together.